Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. July 15th, 2023, episode 73. I think this is the hottest day of my life, certainly the hottest day of the year, and one of the hottest days since I've been out here, which is one of the hottest places that I've ever been to and that I've ever lived. So I did take photographs and video of my thermometer that showed a off the off of the meter approximately what you would have to estimate is about 125 degree midday temperature lasting for many hours and uh yeah it's not the first time i've seen it this is, it, it's happened before that i've seen it go to a point where i'm i just wonder <laughs> Maybe it can't go any further, but it actually would go further if it could. So I sent the picture to a friend who I think would appreciate a play on Spinal Tap. And I said, none more red, <laughs> like none more black. And um, yeah, none more red. It can't go any further. That's it's off the charts. Um, so I guess they'll have to make they'll have to make these things that they they go they go one not, one notch further and that they can go more red so they can go to 11 um if you know what i mean but with that said uh n- well needless to say i don't think i'm a, the ghost of me talking to you now uh <laughs> is a as a spirit i think i'm i think i'm still alive i'm still in the flesh i'm still embodied and I did not succumb to um, to heat illness, heat stroke, heat exhaustion. I mean, heat exhaustion is just a constant state of existence for three months. So, but the more acute symptoms associated with uh, heat stroke that I've that I'm aware of to be monitoring for. I won't enumerate them now because you could easily do that anytime yourself and I'd rather I'd rather make the medical disclaimer up front that I will be talking about life-threatening situations and life-saving strategies and whenever I do that I will disclaim that you should be speaking to your physician before you don't try this at home and uh, don't even try this when you're not at home. I'm in the middle of a a baking desert in temperatures that are at least 125 degrees, if not more. And I'm figuring out how to do it without AC, without grid power, without the ideal situation of having an underground something, maybe a a very glamorous um, 
bunker but most likely something much more humble i would be at this point i'm i'd be happy to bury some some a welded together system of 55 gallon drums with a dumpster at the bottom so i'd have a chute so i could fall i could fall into a dumpster and have it all be welded together and as long as it was structurally sound and wouldn't collapse but it could be that within that range of uh i believe what i read the spec was you got to be you got to be about 6 feet under the surface of the earth if you want to have if you want to be buffered from the extreme temperatures of 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 cool and hot um but don't quote me on that consult your local survival retreat shelter underground shelter builder but yeah if I've been forced and contorted into thinking about a lot of ways to to beat the heat and I really envy the elegance of all the creatures around me that have ways to work with the sand and get themselves situated so that they're out of the the killing they're off the X of the killing heat of the sun they're designed for that they're evolved for that I'm not I'm definitely uh handicapped in an evolutionary sense uh given my my genetics where I'm at and so I have to seek shelter in other ways and I have to have a little bit of a a prosthesis for my sheltering and that first and foremost comes in the form of shade and of course I have minimalistic tiny home like shelters but nowhere near enough solar panel and battery power solar solar charged battery power battery bank powered electrical energy system to um to even keep fans going even small fans going 24/7 but i do have about enough energy to have a couple of small fans going and be charging my electronics and being able to have a digital nomad life in terms of a uh office hours of computing and being connected and being engaged in the modern world of um the internet with mobile and and desktop having that be supplied by the solar panels and the battery bank and what not but as i've said before and as anybody who's done this before would know there's a unforgiving ratio of efficiency between how much energy how much excess energy that you can't even you end up you top off your batteries generally very quickly and then you deplete them um what's the best way to say this uh so that's very very elegant um the solar panels are very efficient at charging the batteries but the the 
it, but the use of those batteries when there is no when there's no midday sun to keep them topped off they lose the the efficiency of them applying that back into appliances after after hours after the solar peak hours you lose you lose a lot of that efficiency so you end up with having to have a very disproportionate number of batteries or battery capacity within the bank depending on the type of battery used of course um, to where to some degree that can be cost prohibitive or for me I'm just at a point where I don't want to I don't want to, I want to figure out, I'm willing to gamble with my comfort and to some degree gamble with my life and in order to understand what is the minimum amount of landfill karma that I need to maintain in order to survive and to break free and to rewild because I want to get to a point where by at least a little bit, at least within the golden years before I die, I want to have spent at least a day, but hopefully more than a year, <laughs> where nothing I eat, nothing I drink, nothing I utilize for my happy, healthy, robust existence in the wild has is ever going to go to a landfill and is ever going to have a, a toxic legacy in the soil that I'm nurturing and that's nurturing me. I want to get to not only zero waste, but zero pollution. And I want to have that be the zone that I'm in for, again, as long as possible. And so to me, the idea of taking on more panels and more batteries, I took on one more paddle one more panel and one more battery this year because the ones I have are already kind of, well, they're already definitely getting towards the end of their life cycle. Um, And I at least got to maintain the humble existence that I have. So I did compromise in that way, but I do not want to, even though I could afford to, if I wanted to make that trade, as it were, it's everything's a trade, um, cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm, I'm richer than I've ever been before. And I'm grateful for that, but I am not rich in the sense that I can afford to, that, that, uh, that I can just fuck around financially. I cannot fuck around financially if I want to stay free and not have to go to work. So I'm as frugal and resourceful as I ever was as a homeless, spare-changing, minor, dumpster-diving and baking and doing other things, legal and illegal, to survive. Now, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not doing anything illegal, but Just because I have land, just because I have a micro nest egg and I had a a micro fortune that I traded into making the land survivable, 
at a minimum scale, at a minimalist scale, I'm definitely not spoiled. <laughs> so whatever abundance financially that I've manifested in this life, it never spoiled me. And maybe it got me ratcheted up to a new level of freedom, a new level of clarity, a new level of ownership of my my sacred body and my time, where I could have more discernment and create new standards for myself on a lot of levels, but never spoiled and never taking it for granted and always feeling protective of the little nothing that I barely have in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, I want to keep it minimal. And if I can figure out how to take the scale of solar power that I have right now and apply my free time that I have because I have more time than money now. I used money to buy time and now I have more time than money for the time being. So I got to use that time wisely. And now, what did I do today? Because I'm basically bedridden in temperatures of 125 degrees at least uh, for the majority of the day. Well, I've mentioned this before. Shout out to MIT Open Courseware and uh, Yale, the, the Yale Open Course Catalog. And so, in terms of reconciling the torture that's psychological, mostly because the physicality of suffering like this, being in the shade and having budgeted enough water to douse myself if I need it to wrap my head with with uh, with moistened bandanas and and uh, and spray myself with a spray bottle and put have fans on me the only thing I'm wasting is just I'm accelerating the rate at which my water gets depleted because I don't have a well and I'm living off of rainwater and water that I truck in once a year at this point. So I have to think about the water storage capacity that I have. And this is year, summer three. And I would say it's, <laughs> yeah, from my very foolhardy and ignorant city slicker beginnings of not having my water game dialed in in the first summer and having actually probably almost died because of it on multiple occasions and definitely put myself through weird agonizing pain in different organs because of not understanding how to do certain things right. It's a learning curve. But by now, my water supply is abundant enough to where I can be more experimental. Um, not, but I gotta be careful and frugal with the water supply and I've capped my energy supply already but I do have I mean I could I could be very extravagant with my usage of water of course I drink enough with an electrolyte uh, Himalayan sea salt pinch of it per every gallon of water that I drink that's how I've staved off uh, hyponatremia since it almost killed me last year. 
seems to be doing all right so far. And uh, sorry if it's TMI, but a bit of flax in the diet is helping me avoid, shall we say, dehydration in in other in other um, ends of the spectrum of uh, the digestive tract. So I think not only do I love growing flax sprouts and seedlings and harvesting and eating the, the sprout plant, I mean the, uh, the, the flax plant as it's growing, but I've been subsisting off it. It's replaced sesame seeds, ground sesame seeds. Now I eat ground flax seeds, and I, this is not for everybody, so don't take it as a fad diet. But for me, it's not just supplemental. It's become... And yeah, to be honest, it's five heaping teaspoons a day and basically about a third of a soup bowl of fermented greens. And that's my lunch, along with uh, with green tea and, and uh, two non-heaping table, uh, teaspoons of cacao. That's so I'm I'm on a I mean I I figure that it works out mathematically calorically because I'm not moving a lot. In the cooler months, I'm able to move around a lot more and do a lot of work. So I can excuse myself. I'm not, yeah, I don't have an eating disorder, um, but I the eating disorder that I have in the heat is not having an appetite, and that is scary because the heat can be so just soul crushing that it's not that I'm trying to starve myself to death like I'm on a hunger strike against God for cooking me to death with the sun. It's not mental in that sense. It just really is, it feels like torture to eat in temperatures, even in the morning, even before the sun is up. It's just, <laughs> you spend all day and all night being beaten mercilessly by the, by the heat and then you have a couple of hours in the early, early morning, right before the sun comes up, to feel beaten up. So you get beaten up for 22 hours, and then you, and then in the time that you're that you've stopped being beaten up, you feel how beaten up you are for about two hours, and then you start getting beaten up again. And that's that's the torture that I'm surviving through. And one of those things is how it affects the ability to have an appetite so I I again started adding uh, I was eating a, a bowl of my raisin pumpkin seed almonds with uh, with a pinch of um, ginger and cinnamon powder and to me I'm in total paradise eating that dry every day and it was only just in the last couple of days where I said, "Oh no, I'm starting to get that fe- sick, that feeling again that I can't, that I'm losing my appetite, and that's not good." So I'm gonna, I'm gonna add water to it and just make it go down easier and faster. And uh, not that I'm, yeah, not that I'm trying to eat any faster than is healthy. I eat as slow as I possibly can. They say drink your food and eat your beverages sort of thing but um yeah it's getting it's it's i'm i'm in the thick of it now it's getting real and like i said i'm trying to 
do the economics of the energy and the water and then spend the time with the courseware to... Um, oh, yeah, I guess the point I was meandering around was the psychology of... <laughs> the psychological aspects of the torture. The physical aspect of being tortured by the heat is nowhere near as bad as the psychology of being debilitated so that you can't really engage in any activity for that many hours so that the time drags and you can't get in the zone and therefore if time's not flying because you're not in the zone because you can't move and you can't do anything stimulation by other means the experience of for me saying to myself if I can project myself into these archived Ivy League undergraduate and graduate level courses I believe it's both but hey to me it's all above it's all mostly going over my head anyway so at least I'm engaged because I'm trying to make sense of it all but no it's Actually, no, I would recommend it for anybody. And um, I'm not the most geeky, technical person. And I don't think I would have passed the tests to get me into those schools. I did get into University of Oregon, um, which isn't the bottom of the barrel, but it's not... It, I, I didn't I didn't have to... Uh, somehow I was able to, to get a waiver on some of the, the entry tests and whatnot. I, I, I had a, a GED with honors and a stellar uh, letter to the dean, I believe, about why I should be admitted and what my mission was. And they gave me almost a full ride. But life happened and my music, uh, pursuing my dreams in the music industry drove me to leave halfway through my undergrad studies at University of Oregon and I and I'm I'm here speaking to you uh, <laughs> punch drunk by the sun and a little bit inebriated with my raisin wine to help me sleep and to help ease the pain and to give me something to look forward to every day one potent glass of that raisin wine and several uh, a ratio of four to one of that 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 glass of wine of water to stay make sure it doesn't kill me while I'm sleeping but in terms of dehydration but yeah it was very timely for me to be going through those uh, Yale courses and to say you know now that I'm tinkering with this extra water budget that I have and the solar energy that I have, um, it's time, now it is time to start actually implementing some of these novel hacks that I spoke about in recent episodes, things that are leading up to a reveal of my now more, more still totally primitive in the spirit of MacGyver, just a hack job, but a hopefully intelligent, maybe not sophisticated, maybe not award-winning, but but based on some command of the science and the physics, 
and a bit of redneck engineering, which I don't even have that. I can't even claim that. I'm a city slicker trying to appropriate redneck engineering and Ivy League technical, scientific, and, and physics sort of wizardry. So somewhere, yeah, somewhere in the middle I end up alive enough at least to share my report about where I'm at. So today it was a four... a four... uh, session block within the uh, fundamental... I think it's Fundamentals of Physics, Yale Open Course that's online, where I really like the professor. I don't want to take go on a tangent, but there's something so uh, so deep and 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 profound and subtle in his way, the way he presents, and the way that he um, he doesn't dumb it down because he's talking and a large percentage of what he's talking is basically speaking in formulas. But he's able to speak in formulas seamlessly with the way he speaks in natural conversational language and then the way that he's able to take very rudimentary intuitive concepts about our our fumbling through reality with our senses and then and then seamlessly bust into how that all maps out onto formulas some of yeah obviously there's plenty of it that goes over my head once he starts talking and nothing but but uh the the the, the random symbols used to represent different forces and chemicals and etc cetera, etc cetera. I'm not a chemist, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a physicist. Um, but I, I I do, at this point, depend on some general understanding, awareness of certain principles in order for me to be able to survive right now. So <laughs> I, 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 I make light of it, but, but I don't want to make, I don't want to take it too lightly, but I want to just give him some praise and say, I really enjoy it and the things that I have enjoyed the most is when there's there's some there are many just golden moments where where he just takes something so esoteric and but 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 moving and profound about physics and then and then very casually explains it in a way that just hits home with something that's very intuitive and uh yeah he does that a lot so i always <laughs> it's the anticipation of those payoffs that get me through the stuff that goes over my head but what i'm trying to understand right now is how i can build on the success the moderate success that i spoke about before which is this um me fumbling upon a system of taking the hyper-conductive, thin metal 
dog bowl, if you will, but basically just a steel, a stainless steel mixing bowl that's the size of a, you know, bigger than what we would normally have a bowl of cereal or a bowl of soup out of, but more the size of a, a generous dog food bowl or mixing bowl. Um, and that that, when it's, when it's hot, obviously just in ambient, I don't know, yeah, but basically on a hot day, it feels hot to the touch. Or if you put hot soup in it, you can't hold it because it will burn your hands. It's so conductive. And conversely, the same goes for, for coolness through it. So it's very, it can be very cold. So... I'm not going to go into too much detail because I went to it already before, but what I've arrived at now is this ability to, in the desert, in the midst of 125 plus degree temperature, I can generate cold water in small amounts and generate a cooling machine at a micro scale with a stainless steel dog bowl. Partially filled with water that's basically like hot bath water in terms of how hot it is just sitting in a sh in the shade in a glass jug but i can turn that hot that that i can basically turn that that hot water into cold water that makes the metal lower the the submerged portion of that bowl be as cold as a freezer, basically, or at least as cold as a refrigerator. Yeah, I mean, if I would say it feels ice cold, but I, but to be safe, I'll say it's it's basically as if you were to touch the wall within a refrigerator, or maybe even maybe even touch the upper wall under the freezer. That's about how cold the bent the metal of that bowl feels where the water is in contact with it. And then it gets absurdly warm as you go up to the top of it, away from the water. And then until today, the, the, oh, oh yeah, so that, so there's, yeah, the final element to that system that I, that, that I had arrived at before today was basically a computer fan, the kind that you would use to cool the power supply area of a PC tower. So not the smaller computer fan that goes in the CPU, but the, I don't know what it is, five inches or something like that. Um, but basically DC powered uh, computer fan that I drop in that dog bowl and, uh, and then have yell and laugh every time I accidentally tilt it slightly so that I get blasted as if I'm water skiing and I get blasted in the face with that water sloshing and hitting the fan and blasting me and getting all over everything. So um, trying to mitigate that, stabilize and level that out a little bit better. Yeah, getting better about, about that part. But that system, those three elements, stainless steel dog bowl, partial fill of water, DC, low low voltage DC computer fan on top of it. 
and that would cool the water and that would cool the bottom of the bowl or the, at least the submerged part of the bowl. And with that, I've been able to have the, the best medical and physical relationship with the heat so far on this third year because I had not developed that. The first year, I didn't have enough water to spoil myself with dunking bandanas in water and not just saving that water for drinking and for irrigation of the plants that I had. So the first year was the worst. Second year, second summer was far better because I, I built out more water storage and I was able to at least routinely moisten myself on my skin with a spray bottle and by dunking my my wrap linens in, in, in basically hot water, but still, so it didn't feel cool at all, but it was doing evaporative cooling. It did have an effect, so it kept me alive. But this year I finally get to, I don't feel like I'm in blasting AC, but I do know, but I am thrilled and I am benefiting from the, the fact that I am now generating cool water and cold temperatures at a micro scale that I can psychologically lean on and medically lean on. And every time I dunk that, those linens for that wrap, it's cold and it feels cold to the touch and it's cold on my head and the real proof in the pudding is just monitoring how much less sweat output I have to produce. The fact that I can be sitting in 125 degree temperature and not be sweating profusely the way I have been in previous in the previous years shows me that there that these effects are real and they're starting to work and it's becoming a, a factor that I need to really understand more and really try to scale and 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 optimize so that thermodynamics course today there was plenty within it that I'm going to have to continue to listen to again and again and watch again and again in order to really understand it fully but a lot of the principles were making sense understanding the nuance differences between radi radiation convection and conduction and really knowing the physics of what exactly it is that I'm doing. Because right now, more than anything else, my survival and my sanity and my... ability to function and be productive, it's all a factor of these MacGyver kind of physics, which I'm... which I don't intrinsically... I didn't come from that background. I don't intrinsically understand it. I'm reverse engineering it and hacking it as I go along. And uh, the threshold that got crossed today, because I'm kind of recapping a bit, was the threshold of adding a layer that I intended to add, which is the layer of aerosolization or misting and creating an ambient mist in order to do a few things to augment the effect of just having that sort of stationary cool water in the base of that bowl that I could dip fabric into and wrap it around myself 
the next level of experimentation, but also adding risk that I'm going to talk about, which is going to be the main sort of title subject, is, um, is yeah, getting into the realm of how to discover what the minimum energy and water usage amounts are going to be in order to create survivability and some amount of comfort by applying the far more um, luxurious standards of just taking a backyard summer barbecue party hangout deck chair chill zone misting system that are that that uh, that I've enjoyed. Uh, immensely uh, when I had access to it before but that requires obviously unlimited grid water basically and the you know the unit itself it's really cheap in fact I I did get one and I did say to myself I can't I mean every three summers now this is the third summer where I said never again and I did a lot of work last year in order to try to change the dynamics the thermodynamics the aqua dynamics so that I would not suffer as badly as I did the first year and I did achieve some success but I would give myself maybe a C minus I mean first year was I mean if death is an F then probably I got a D, D, D plus last year. I mean, uh, the first year. And then, <laughs> then it was a, a C minus last year. This year so far, I'd say, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I would call it a, a, a B or a C, a C plus B minus. And I don't know how much better I'm going to do than that. But I, but, but it's like, I want to go through those crucibles in order to make sure that I'm not wasteful. And I, maybe that's neurotic and maybe that's being, uh, yeah, self-defeating in a sense or, or, or so. I'm not trying to virtue signal here. I'm just trying to be frugal. I'm trying not to burn my financial nest egg and I'm willing to burn my skin and burn my soul and be scorched by the sun in the process to some degree and if I hey if I die protecting my nest egg then at least I will die with a nest egg and and I'm okay with that at this point I'd rather that than go back to work get 15 million COVID infections and then be dependent on the system and dependent on others to live a, a miserable life and that's just what what I what gives what what keeps me persevering in my experiment of survival and what gives me nightmares but I'm not throwing shade at anybody no pun intended and I'm not saying I know better for all I know yeah it would be a, it would be a it would be an irony if I died of of valley fever or legionella pneumonia legionnaire's disease which i'm going to get to in a minute that in order to avoid the respiratory fate of coronavirus i were to face a fate of legionnaire's 
disease or and or valley fever. But to be honest, the quality of life and the immersion in nature, like I said before, I'd rather get hit by, I'd rather get eaten by a bear than get hit by a bus. And the more and more we're learning about the gain of function, lab leak theory, etc., etc., and how the policy may have been a lot different if it would have been, if there would have been more questioning throughout the, the still ongoing pandemic, if there would have been more more questioning of the possibility that this could have been the result of human negligence stemming from the uh, the, the, the the medical and industrial complex whatever made matter in collusion with the military industrial complex whatever that it that it was um, I mean it's one thing if it was negligence from a, from just people harvesting wild animals and selling them in a wet market. I feel a little bit less hostile towards working class people poaching wild animals that they probably shouldn't be and handling them in a way that's probably not hygienic. And but to me that's a little bit more down to earth of just the people doing what they got to do to survive in poverty and under the crushing weight of authoritarian regimes and imperialist regimes, capitalist and communist imperialist is what John Trudell said. I feel a little bit less hostile towards the fate of the pandemic being caused potentially by that kind of human negligence of just centralization of epidemiological risk of domestication and civilization and wet markets, I feel a lot more forgiving of that than I do of the potential of it being either hubristic medical scientists thinking that they know better than nature to go into bat caves and start messing with novel coronaviruses in labs around the world that are situated in urban centers when they should be in the, in the North Pole or on the moon or on a space station, for Christ's sake. So I have far less forgiveness and far more rage at the potential to in, of any percentage that what was unleashed on the planet was something that could have just been well and good, isolated, in a bat, in a cave, and left alone. But if it was hubristic scientists who went to go and mess with that and put it into a la- into labs situated within urban centers of high population density, that's asking for it. And worse, if there was so-called gain of function and there was any form of a military agenda, then it just lends credence to the prophecy of Stephen King's The Stand, and and I will be forever haunted by the performance in the original TV series of Gary Sinise battling the hubristic scientists in the lab because he was a survivor of the plague that was unleashed by the military gain-of-function research on a super flu killer virus leak. And, and he said, what did you people do? What did you people do? 
And that is a haunting sentiment from that haunting film, from that haunting screenplay and novel writer. And I, if I have to say, what did you people do? And if we, and if we have to reconcile and reckon with that, it's going to feel a lot different. So to me, dying in the wild, dying in the wild of valley fever is going to feel the best to me. Dying in the wild of legionnaires is going to feel better than dying of a of a coronavirus that I never would have encountered unless I personally walked into a bat cave or had hubristic scientists or military bio-warfare warlords collude to unleash it on humanity. So to frame this legionnaires, now that I've got to it in a gruesome kind of way, I guess the whole follow up with the intention which is to say yes I'm not again medical disclaimer I'm this is not a primer on legionella bacteria or legionnaires disease this is something to only pique your interest if you are curious if you've maybe heard about it or you may or if you've heard about it and you don't know much about it or if you've not heard about it I'm going to introduce it and demystify it a little bit obviously using the play on words of demystification because the aerosolization, i.e. misting of water that contains the Legionella bacteria, of which there are many strains, and some of them are more or less uh, deadly in terms of causing a form of pneumonia that is, uh, is very nasty from my research on it. Um, but yeah, this is going to be an intro to, because where I, what I've arrived at in my survival, cooling, minimalist hacking technology is that uh, I'm, I've crossed that boundary now that I have that cool water supply and I've today, as of today... I added a new element, which is that I've suspended a coffee can, a galvanized large, whatever, I don't know, probably a gallon and a half. I don't know exactly what the, how many ounces anymore, what the, what the volume is, but you would consider it basically one of those larger coffee cans. Um, so probably about, I don't know, eight inches diameter and about, about 10 to, to 12 inches tall kind of a coffee can uh, galvanized and uh, I had used it in the nursery before and so I adapted it for this purpose so it kind of looks like this very uh, solar punk kind of IV the, the way that you see those IVs that people in the hospital have to push around I've been there I've done it um, but instead of a plastic sack of saline or whatever solution they're keeping you uh topped up with it's a coffee can with a uh, silicone silicone sealant um, spigot that I that I drilled a hole to attach it and plumb it through the bottom and seal it and then I have that um, running out to a hose clamp that's clamping a uh, believe a half inch silicone tubing length that then terminates in a brass 
garden nozzle, the kind that you don't squeeze like a a, a gun trigger, but you you rotate it uh, and it, it opens by twisting it, and it's kind of a a, a conical a, a long cone that you 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 turn it one direction to open, one direction to shut. I believe it's righty tighty lessy lefty loosey. Um, and so that is the that is the water reservoir IV that I have to top off that dog bowl with a fan on top of it so that I can maintain a supply of cool water to dunk my bandana in. And that was the the first test was just, okay, there's now that I have, you know, now that it's, it's the season that it is, bees are... I'm having to do bee kung fu every day in the morning. When it gets too hot, they they disappear. But in the mornings, they're they're all over me. There's there was at at one time I was ganged up by four of them, and they've had me, they've had me, mad dashing, running for it, and doing all kinds of, of uh, of of funky dances and kung fu maneuvers. I'm not trying to hurt them, but I do need to own my space. And I need to, um, as they approach me, which they do just every day, chronically, they see me interacting with jugs of water and pouring my tea and, and everything, everything attracts them. I've created a nice system for them to get into an area where the pond is so that they can get in and out of it. I've seen them use it. It's a little tunneling system I created for them. And we keep allow them in and nothing else, uh, and they've used it, but but they still they still want to want to dance with me, so I, I got to deal with that. So sometimes now I'm in a situation where I really yeah I, I don't I don't want they're not wasps they're not of the variety that could sting me multiple times. But I don't want them to. I don't want. I don't want them to die from stinging me once. I don't want to hurt any of them, and I don't want them to ha- feel like they have to gang up on me. So so far so good. It's just been a game of doing some some shadow boxing, um, sparring, karate chops, and kung fu movements, and just the. I would I would like to believe that it is the focus of my chi and my will that gives me this sort of energetic barrier because um, I'm not swatting at them. I'm just creating linear boundaries around my safety zone. Like <laughs> you shall not pass the field of this karate chop, which is far enough is several inches away from me and several inches away from you. But wherever you move, you're gonna you're gonna be met with an with an angle of that energy flow, and whether it's a visual experience, or a, a, a movement of air, or an energetic experience, so far, that's been it's been effective at, at, at parrying and deflecting them, and it's and it's been an ongoing an ongoing successful strategy, and if it fails, I'll I'll be honest and let you know. But so far, it's been successful. But I gotta worry about anywhere there's any water standing. 
they're gonna they're gonna sense it and they're gonna go for it so they have crept up on me in places where i did not want them to and luckily it hasn't been disastrous um and so i've been able to get away with having this this coffee can reservoir suspended like an iv to where i can open it up and top off that dog bowl with water but and so that was a, that passed it passed the b penetration test i was able to you know yeah they got in a, they've gotten in a couple of times but they got the message and left and it hasn't been it's been seldom enough to where i i, I don't have to monitor it constantly so that's good and so now the next phase is wanting to approximate the effect of that misting system but doing it at a scale that doesn't just burn through all my water so fast that i mean i'm i don't i don't want to i i'm for for reasons i've explained before i'm not going to now i have got to i got to remain under budget with my water supply and for for another few months and so that means that i have got to push myself under every circumstance to minimize the use of water for any purpose even though i have more than i've had over the last couple of years the conditions are such that it needs to last longer and i don't have the i can't just tap out and go call time out and go get some more the way that i did in the previous years so yes i have more but it's also more precious and my use of it has to be more intelligent so it kind of counterbalances in a way i would rather scrape i would rather use the supply very minimalistically and figure out what the minimum survival sanity and basic comfort I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think comfort's the right word, but but to minimize discomfort is where I'm at. And to push those limits. And if I end up at the end of this period of time that I've allotted before I go and resupply with the water, if I end up with a ridiculous amount where I say, man, I could use a lot more, well then, next year I'll use a lot more. But this year I don't want to take a chance to where I fall short because that there's reasons why that would be a big a, a very big problem. Um so I actually did buy a bilge pump and I did buy one of those backyard kind of full scale misting systems and I figured that I would be able to generate enough pump lift power in terms of the number of feet that the that that bilge pump would would uh would 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 raise the water so it could go up out of up and out of a of a of a of a bucket or a or or a barrel uh and rise a small number of feet and then be hanging above me um to just give me that that uh, that misting experience but i but even though i got those components and they were 
relatively inexpensive, but I got all the fittings and I got all everything I needed for it and I designed that and I said, I'm gonna rely on this if I have to. I expect that I'm gonna have to. But then at this point, I'm like, I know I can just feel in my intuitively how wasteful that that's going to be so i've got i'm not saying i'm not going to try it i'm not going to do it at all i'd like to know how long how many hours that i can go for how much energy how 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 uh what the energy demand of that bilge pump is going to be but also it's ridiculously loud and part of me just says i didn't come out here to do rewilding with loud motors I mean, the tiny little computer fan is almost like a meditation. It's almost like the sound of the wind or or or, or the or the tide. You know what I mean? But the bilge pump going off, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, because I actually bought a little toggle switch, so I, I wouldn't have it. I would definitely would not have it running constantly over hours. I would probably toggle switch, run the bilge pump, pressurize that misting system, have it have it blast me for a couple of minutes and then have a little fan give me the evaporative cooling effect on my skin until it dried up, which would only be a few minutes later, and then do it again and just repeat. And that would be my my job to stay alive. Um, I did something similar last year, which was take a kind of like a box fan and then drape a piece of sheet, bed sheet fabric like a tapestry in front of it so that so that the heat blasted by that the the hot air blasted by that fan would would hit the fabric and not my face and then I would just sit there with a spray bottle and every couple of minutes have to blast the fabric with this, the the sheet fabric with the spray bottle and then that would generate a cooling effect that would not only block me from allow me to to actually enjoy the effect of the fan Whereas, basically, what I've discovered is that any fan, when the temperature is more than 80, 90 degrees, you're just blasting yourself with hot air, and it is going to give you chapped lips and bloody noses and make your eyeballs dry out and make you want to die even more and make you suffer even more and do almost probably nothing for you. So without added that's where i really got into this game of how do you work with moisture in the air and that was the first sort of mock-up iteration of me realizing this aha okay there is this dynamic between these forces of convection that are happening sort of magically in this dance between the density of and the capacity of more of of uh water molecules aerosolized in the air and and in in fluid form um these diff all these different interplays and edges of the physics of the interaction between dry desert heat air and water with no air affecting it water with a breeze, you know, the 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 normal natural breezes and gusts affecting it and then larger fans which cause them cause fabric to dry out faster smaller fans which cause 
the drying out to happen slower but have less of a dramatic effect in terms of the force and the movement so i'm trying to figure out how do i miniaturize these effects to save energy and to save water and i went from these more gross experiments that were wasteful and where i knew where this was going i'm going to end up i'm going to end up i'm going to end up spending more of my water on this very inefficient half-assed cooling methodology than I'm actually drinking or that I'm irrigating with. And to me, I'm okay with during the summer that being a equal parts of one-third each. One-third I drink, well, one-third I, I drink, yeah, one-third I drink, one-third I apply to keep myself cool and clean, and then one-third goes to the garden. I think that's fair. And I'm okay with that. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to establish. I wouldn't call it a breakthrough today, but it is the iteration. And it does make me feel very good because I was not feeling good about scaling into the bilge pump and the misting system because of the energy and water and noise and noise that that was gonna that, that was gonna uh, involve and if anything if I could just make this small computer fan extend that field of cooling just a little bit more on a couple of different dimensions it would be it would be it would be such a win and that's what happened today and i mean if it was over 125 today and i was basically able to huddle up and hunch over this little bowl where it's the opposite of where you would be putting your hands close to the campfire and rubbing them together and trying to get as close to the campfire as you could without smoking yourself out or getting burnt by it. But that sensation and that relationship to the campfire is the relationship I have to this dog bowl with a little bit of water and a computer fan in it because the little area of coolness and that gradient of coolness that's being generated by that magical effect of the physics of some gradient of conduction, convection, etc. There's different. There's all kinds of different dynamics interacting in different ways, and I'm part of that system. But today I was able to extend it more than yesterday, and the big difference was that I did two things. I allowed the water level to come up so that it was just barely touching the bottom of that fan, plenty safe and away from where the electrical wires were going into the top of the fan, or the back, I should say the back of the fan versus the front of the fan. So I felt comfortable, and knowing it's low voltage DC, you know, I've got circuit breakers and I, I'm not too concerned about being shocked to death if there was a short because of the water, but I'm trying to not be stupid either. I don't want anything to just die. Um, I don't want to submerge a motor or anything. So 
Yeah, if if the if the frame of that fan is basically maybe an inch and a half, if 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 only a few millimeters enough to come in contact with that fan blade are hitting the water in that dog bowl, then it's creating a mist. It's creating a mist around the dog bowl that is able to and hit me with with um, not millions but maybe maybe tens or hundreds per second or per minute of micro droplets that are that are basically uh, creating the effect of sweat without costing me the uh, the loss of electrolytes and the water that I've drank so that so that I'm basically being externally sweated upon by this partially submerged computer fan in this bowl of water that's now cold water. The fact that it's starting off at a lower temperature or it is is reaching a lower temperature and then hitting me and then evaporating against the, the, the hot air around me, it's actually... moving moving the needle towards comfort and 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 past bare minimum survival and so hunched around that that bowl getting that mist from that computer fan just barely digging into the water level slightly going up a little bit higher now here is where the real mechanical um intelligence comes in i mean it's not I mean, that's not the right word. Uh, The uh, it's definitely not genius, but the um, what makes it what makes it a sustainable, self-contained system that is set and forget at this point is that that IV. Water supply, even though it's only whatever that coffee can holds, I've got that nozzle suspended over the top of the fan so that it drips, barely, almost closed all the way tight, but it drips a drop maybe every second or two. When I got to adjust it, once in a while I will adjust it, but basically I've got to a point where it's at that equilibrium where that drip is coming down, a the drip hits the fan on its way down and adds to the to the velocity and the range of that misting effect just one drop on a computer fan from above obviously away from the wires and the motor but right square on the fan and then it can blast without making a huge mess and it's going to dry almost instantly off of most of the surfaces it, it hits, but it will remain long enough to have an evaporative effect when it's on my skin. And I did put some fat, little tiny strips of fabric and stuff around it that'll hold a little bit more, slow it down and keep a little more ambient coolness happening. But a drop comes down, whatever doesn't get mystified by hitting that fan drops down into the water in the bowl and maintains that water level so that that 
water level is always continually being kicked up by the fan and therefore otherwise I would just have to keep manually pouring water in and that would that would that would be uh yeah if my life depended on it my sanity depended on it I would do that and I have been doing that but in a different at a different level now I would not want to be doing that um I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have imagined wanting to do that in order to maintain that water um so it's always in contact with the fan because you know it's always basically evaporating anyway and I will add to it I've been adding to it a few times a day but I'm but there's a difference between maintaining an exact level and just keeping it from drying out completely you know, and letting and, and allowing it to 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 shrink down between an inch to three quarters of an inch before refilling it. That's a big difference from keeping it perfectly topped off at all times. So adjusting that drip from that little IV system, the bees are not are not punishing me for doing this yet, thankfully. And the other concern is is the risk of Legionella, the, the risk of becoming a Legionella bacteria farmer as so many unwitting, stagnant, artificial water systems that we've built do by default to give a little presentation on this menace that is Legionnaire's disease Again, it's not a a real um, comprehensive primer, but I have had to do more and more research, and I'm not sitting here looking at a bunch of notes, and I'm not going to give you the Wikipedia or chat GPT version of this. I'm just going to speak emotively about my understanding of it and my relationship with it in terms of in tactical permaculture sense, it's one of the enemies of, of survival. And um, until we get to a point in a permaculture design where we've got everything flowing cyclically and very naturally, and there's little, if any, need for the prosthesis of water tanks and irrigation, the goal ultimately for some of us extremists in permaculture is for there to be nothing toxic nothing that ends up in the wasteland nothing machine made nothing uh, nothing really fabricated nothing that you couldn't fashion with your bare hands ultimately and that's the end point that we want to go back to that our ancestors lived in and that was non-toxic non-carcinogenic healthy, aesthetically pleasing, etc., etc. And for most people doing permaculture, we're on a continuum. Some of us really relish the vision of that end state. Some of us are just like, hey, we're trying to survive. We'll use PVC. We'll use tarps. You know, we'll use whatever it takes, this plastic, in order to just survive. And I'm kind of in that situation too. And Jeff Lawton said, 
yeah, there is an idealism, or I'll paraphrase, there's an idealism about being everything, everything being non-toxic and all natural, but it's also about acknowledging the modern state that we're in and just using what's available, you know? So for a lot of us, that is using the crutch and the prosthesis of, of, of plastics. But if we can use some of these toxic plastic and other mechanically derived um, sort of scout if it's a scaffolding to build the ecological system that's gonna make all of that material obsolete then then that's the best possible use of it anyway so that's my philosophy at this point and um yeah but in the meantime legionnaires disease and the 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 growth in stagnant water that's not sufficiently hot or cold to prevent the growth of the legionella bacteria it, it means that a lot of places there's a lot of hiding places in civilization within our many uses of water that are not always highly pressurized constantly circulating disinfected cold or hot sufficiently to where you have a environment conducive to the growth of that bacteria. And then while it's generally not pathogenic, if it's uh, consumed by drinking, and it's generally not pathogenic if it is not, if the water that it's living in is not disturbed and aerosolized, what makes it pathogenic generally speaking, is when it is aerosolized in the form of being sprayed, in the form of being disturbed, uh, the, the finer the droplet, the, the more dispersed that spray is. So cooling towers, fountains, um, faucets, showerheads, um, any kind of misting system, there's a whole list you can look on any of the there's all kinds of fact sheets, and I was, I've looked at a number of them in the past, and looked at looked over a few today. I'm a little bit of a refresher today, but um, again, please do your own research because I don't want to represent that I have encyclopedic knowledge of this. Um, But yeah, I have to be concerned because I am living in a situation where all of my water is stagnant. The disinfectant effects have over time worn off. And so what is my Legionella mitigation strategy for my creating the perfect conditions for it to kill me? And pretty much every in in, in in any application of water that I have, the and this isn't advice. This is just me saying what I am doing, and to some degree, not what not what I what I would do, but what I am doing. And that is a combination of using the Berkey water filtration system I've ad that, that I've adapted in a certain way using. Uh, the, a five-gallon bucket as the as the um, as the reservoir, if you will. Uh, whereas in the past, I've used the official uh, 
believe stainless steel reservoir that the filters do their work in but there is a there's a life hack a, a budgetary life hack to to just get the filters themselves and 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 use a five gallon bucket uh, again me using the plastic prosthesis for financial reasons but that has protected me thus far as the first line of defense to take water stored in 55 gallon drums and other tankage and whatnot hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gallons that I've amassed to give me a year supply of cooling, cleaning, hydrating, irrigation. And so for, for it to get anywhere near me or any or inside of me, it goes through the Berkey water filters first. So to me, that creates that first line of defense against whatever potential legionnaires could be growing in the tanks. And I'm not going to... I'm going to say I'm pretty impressed with how little visible biofilm I'm seeing in my in the way that I'm storing the bulk water supplies, but I'm not also going to cut corners and think that I'm fine. I'm not going to just... <laughs> definitely not going to just drink straight out of that without filtering it for a number of reasons um but uh i mean just sand gets in everything and anyway it, it, there's just no no way in hell that i would not be properly filtering water that's that's stored even if it's almost as well sealed as water that you would buy in a in a, in a water bottle that you would imagine would never be contaminated if it was never open I mean, it looks as good as that, smells as good as that, texture is fine, but I'm going to obviously want to be smart and, and, and filter it and not wonder. So that's the first line is filtering, and then that goes into glass jugs that are being almost baked. I mean, they're not being, the water's not at a boiling temperature. Uh, so the temperature doesn't really have a antimicrobial effect. If anything, it's probably it's conducive to microbial growth. But there is plenty of sunlight hitting them, hitting the. So one, the water gets filtered, goes into glass jugs that are exposed to the sunlight, and which there's plenty of. And thus far, I've never had a, a even a even a turned stomach, let alone nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, or anything uh, that what I, I would consider a, a biological contaminant of my my water filtration system going from the Berkey filters in the five-gallon bucket into the water jugs, and then just slowly dripping um, into the water jugs from the filters, and... Uh, there's been a couple of times some ants got into there. I lifted them up and that's no longer a problem. The bees will kind of drink from the the dripping water the way that a rabbit would drink from a sort of the nipple of those water bottles in a way. But I haven't, again, there's a little bit of algae growing here and there, but, uh, and sometimes dust storms will, 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 <laughs> will deposit quite a bit of sand around the whole thing. But to this day... Yeah, the worst thing I've experienced is filtering out a little bit of 
algae, green algae, and spitting out a little bit of tiny bit of sand grit once in a while, but no bird shit or rodent access or anything that would make me concerned of, make me worry about, and certainly I haven't had any effects of of that relatively minimally secured water supply system actually do fine for me and so i don't yeah to whatever extent the the uv effects are doing anything or not also i do add a bit of salt a pinch of salt and uh i would assume that that has uh some beneficial effect on mitigating uh growth of harmful bacteria because it's the same not the same quantity and ratio, but the same principle that goes into to fermentation with salt brine. So anyway, I'm comfortable with it. I'm not about to put bleach in there. I'm not about to put chlorine or chloramine back in there because it already off-gassed and I'm happy about that. And I don't know what else is still stagnant in there from the municipal water supply, but... Uh, but at least whatever could off-gas is off-gassed, and I filtered it, hit it with UV, and uh, and I felt fine, and this is year three of doing that. Um, so if that's level one, now what am I doing after filtering that? If I'm putting it in this IV system where it sits in a can, and then feeds a silicone tube and that's again opening it up to ambient biology and I don't really know how much I would expect ambient legionnaires legionella bacteria to just populate in this kind of desert environment um, but I'm not going to there's some things where, for example, yeah, there's there haven't been... I've seen maybe two or three mosquitoes out here and they didn't even bite and I was surprised to see them and they were very... They were the least obnoxious mosquitoes I've ever encountered. And... Um, but yeah, that's a, an interesting... There's, yeah, there's a few things that... A few pressures of pests and pathogens that just don't exist in this climate that are legion in other climates I'm glad to be away from um, but I don't want that to be a form of complacency so I'm going to assume that yeah uh, that I that I dragged legionnaire legionnaire bacteria cultures samples in from the city and that they're persisting in some way even if they wouldn't find their way out here on their own into the desert or that they are everywhere and there's no escaping them either way i'm just going to assume that it is an ambient ongoing ever persistent danger and act accordingly so what i discovered today which i will comfort myself with psychologically at least is understanding that Okay, so you had water that maybe may or may not have had all kinds of Legionella bacteria in it, and then you you filtered it properly, and then basically you reset the clock. You just basically reset the clock back to zero, and now every second that that water is 
is exposed again or is yeah is is, is exposed again and isn't filtered bef- right before use immediately before use um then there's a time there's a clock that's ticking again so my my studies have given me a, a couple of different metrics one of them has said Obviously, depending on temperature, depending on the pH of the water, depending on the nutrients available in the water, a number of factors are going to contribute to how fast or how slow an inevitable, potentially inevitable Legionella population is going to grow in that artificially stagnant water with unnatural biology and ecology that doesn't have competing organisms uh, established in order to keep the Legionella in check. So it's basically a carte blanche to become uh, uh, overgrown and pathogenic. That's the problem of the artificial stagnant systems that we create that are isolated from the cycles of nature that would mitigate this and the ecologies. The flows of, of wa- the, the water flow patterns and the, and the competitive ecologies with the natural ecosystems that would mitigate any one pathogen from having an outsized risk or competitive advantage. But well, we basically create the conditions for it. And I'm in a state where I'm in trying to transition towards not try to recreate the, the balance that will make it less of a threat to me, but paradoxically breaking free from the water grid and the city and trying to rewild, I'm basically gambling in this interim phase where I'm putting myself at the highest possible risk of Legionella exposure. And, and uh, it's worth noting that it generally affects people who are elderly, immuno, immunocompromised, um, or just not fully immune, uh, developed in their immune system. Um, for people who are considered generally healthy, it's it is it's considered uh, generally not the most lethal threat if it gets you sick at all. But I gotta think that I may not be the only one ever to be here, and uh, and I want to learn this stuff and be mindful of it. And also, my health may not always last forever. Um, but I want to do anything, but I would almost rather die than be importing a bunch of toxic disinfectants which are going to poison me and everything else to have one effect, which is to kill that bacteria. If I can find other ways to block it, to prevent its growth, to mitigate its growth, etc., etc. So what I'm confident in now is this once that water, that filtered water is exposed again, the clock is ticking, and while there's there's uh, variance in the rate of growth, given the factors I mentioned before, nutrients, pH, temperature, etc., assuming that for the sake of just best practices you imagine that it is that, that, that imagine 
to be on the safe side, better safe than sorry, that it has everything it needs and the perfect conditions to grow as fast as it possibly can. And if you design backwards from that, then you, well, I, I will, for myself, hope that if I don't minimize it, but I maximize it in my threat model, I'm going to overcompensate in a good way to protect myself and if I can do that again without using chemical disinfectants then great so the spectrum that I read from a few sources was anywhere from 24 hours for a problematic population level to grow to to 48 hours to up to a couple of weeks and th- those that big window between the one saying between two uh, two days and two weeks and obviously that would be where all that nuance comes in of all those factors uh the interplay of those factors but i'm just gonna say okay you know what for me to sleep at night i'm gonna say okay i do add soap to the water a small amount of uh, what I consider very natural, biodegradable, 100% plant-based soap product and and very small and diluted amounts. But it's enough for there to be a bit of some suds in that water once it gets down into that bowl. Uh, Certainly when the fan starts moving around in it, uh, I mean, it's not an absurd amount, but it's there. And the reason that I put that in the system to begin with was that Otherwise, my scalp would be rotting off and I'd be itching like crazy. The only way I can have moist cloth wrapping my head literally 24-7 is that it has to be cycled through with soapy water. Um, and and pulse, that soapy water has to be pulsed through that water cycle. Um, it doesn't have to be applied in the same full amount every time I rinse and wring out dunk and wring out my my headdress if you will but has to be done added to the solution once a day basically and then it can kind of fade out over that day but where i'm at now i add that water or i add that soap that that soapy solution in the morning to the coffee can of water and then i top it off use it to keep that bowl of water filled now up to the level of the fan so that I always have cold water to dunk my my headdress in, which, depending on the, the temperature, dries out faster or slower. So, yeah, a number of times, you know, between a half a dozen to a dozen times a day, approximately, I will, I will dunk it and wring it out and, and put it back on. And now I'm happy to say that that's cold water and not hot water that I'm doing that with. So it's a lot more effective. And then now I have this ambient mist. And if I had any concern whatsoever that I was taking unproperly filtered or filtered yet left out too long after filtering water in that system to become problematic with legionella the last thing i want to be do be doing is 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 hunching over that fan aerosolizing that water wondering if i'm basically inhaling and basically uh huffing 
in for hours at a time even this Legionella-laden Legionella-laden water because what it does in the pneumonia that it causes is that it basically takes hold and grows and multiplies deep within the lungs and that alveol the alveoli alveol bear with me macrophages so it's infecting at a deep level and taking a deep foothold where it has a tactical advantage at that point and uh, I don't want to just push the limits of my immune system because my immune system is definitely degraded just by being in these extreme conditions so I don't want to I don't want to push that so if I can trust and hope and pray that what I'm doing now what I've done so far has has been survivable against the threat of Legionnaire's disease so far. Adding this level of aerosolization, mystifying this, this cold water solution, and then, hover, and then hunch, being hunched over it and meditating over it like it's a campfire, letting it put me into a mesmerized trance state like a, a campfire does, if that's going to be my lifestyle for the next couple of months that I'm going to enjoy, I want to do it with peace of mind. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, can take, it can take a number of days, if not over a week, for symptoms to manifest. So if I don't, if I'm not hacking and coughing and wheezing and suffering from Legionnaire's disease, from taking this leap of faith right now or in the next couple of weeks I'm going to be very very thankful that these these metrics and these physics and this MacGyvering actually worked out because it'll be the lowest amount of energy possible to achieve the desired effect the lowest amount of water usage and wastage possible with the essential fact of mitigating the lethality of Legionella, Legionella that grows in stagnant water. So wish me luck. I hope that was an education, a break from politics, a break from philosophy, a little bit of nerdy MacGyver fun science. And uh, again, hats off to to Yale, the Yale Open Courses and the Thermodynamics section of the Fundamentals of Physics course and what the dude said about the the sort of uh, the magic and miracle and all-encompassing nature of the, the the concept of entropy and how and how how, uh, how useful it is in shoring up a lot of loose ends in other areas of physics, to me that that really it, it resonated and and landed very well for me as I was trying to understand and apply what he was saying about all about thermodynamics as I was in real time tinkering with 
this this experiment of thermodynamics and so yeah hope you i hope you are uh taking whatever notes are applicable in your life journey and maybe just maybe you're uh you're already on kickstarter whipping up a campaign to steal this idea and make it into the as seen on tv version of the of the of the uh, hygienic non pathogenic micro 12 volt human scale swamp cooler um that doesn't break the bank <laughs> but uh yeah for now a dog bowl, a computer fan, some soapy water, a coffee can, some tubing, a a a, 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 a hose clamp, and uh, and Yale free online courses to to just make it all that much more fun and and and, and to keep my mind occupied while I'm trying to keep my body from just keeling over dead. And my lungs from filling with with fluid from from Legionnaires disease. All right, with that said, cheers. Mm-hmm.